0: Hello everybody, my name is Alex Marks, and this is Young History, episode 12 on Dominica. Dominica is the second smallest island nation inside of the Caribbean, and it has a whole lot of cool facts about it. One of them being the fact that it's called Nature Island of the Caribbean for its very, very beautiful forests, trees sunrises, lakes, everything that's on this island is absolutely gorgeous when it comes to nature. So, so gorgeous and so untouched by the rest of the world that it's said that Columbus, who I'll get into discovered this island, if he were to come to this island now and look at it from a boat, he would be able to recognize Dominica from what he recognized in the 1400s because of how absolutely gorgeous and untouched this land is. Another thing about this country is that it's located in the Lesser Antilles, which, when it comes to where that word came from, it's believed to come from Gaelic, meaning waterland, the two words together, and it also has the highest concentration of any active volcano among sovereign states on Earth. How about that? So, there's a whole lot to get into with this country, there's a lot of usual stuff we see with the Caribbean, with colonization, colonization stuff like that, and you know, we get the usual. There's a great indigenous group here. We see a lot of changes throughout time. We see a lot of things do the usual that happened in the Caribbean. But there's also a crazy moment in time with some neo-Nazis and KKK members and Rastafarians, things that I was not at all expecting from this. So I'm not going to hold it up anymore. Not going to keep us in anticipation any longer than we have to. So I'm just going to get right into it and say one more time My name is Alex Marks, this is Young History, and this is Dominica. So when it comes to the origins of people in this land, the first people to come here were the Arawaks. These people migrated in from South America, roughly around 3000 BC. And they held this land for a thousand years, but they didn't ever get a full glory days and nor did they ever get to keep the land. Today, there isn't a population of Arawaks, at least on this island of the Caribbean anymore. And that is because of the Caribs. Now the island Caribs arrived in this land in 800 BC. And if you know anything about the Caribs, you know the fact that they are both the fiercest and most aggressive of all tribes and warriors within the Caribbean. So anywhere they went, they messed things up. They killed a lot of people. They took over lands. And that happened here in Dominica. They killed the Arawak population unprovoked. The stories go that the Arawaks were very peace-loving and things like that. And the Caribs came in and said, no, we're not going to do that. So give us some land. And so they were given land by force. They took it. Killed as many people as they wanted, took the Arawaks out, and kept it moving on. And they would hold this land from around 800 BC up until 1493. Specifically, on November 3rd of 1493, we would see the first European to arrive near this land, and that would be Christopher Columbus, the usual discoverer of stuff in the Caribbean and the Western world. Old Columbus. So, With Columbus, this was on November 3rd of 1493, and the thing about that is that it was a Sunday, and that's where the island gets its name from, being called Dominica, because Dominica in Italian is Sunday. And this made sense for the name, because Christopher Columbus is a Catholic, a very, very devout Catholic, and naming this land after the holiest day of his religion makes a lot of sense. But when it came to the interaction between the Spaniards and... The Caribs themselves, it was very, very aggressive. The, as I said before, the Caribs are aggressive and they're incredible fighters. So when the Spanish landed here, there was no <laughs> negotiations or talking or any peace or feast anything like that that you see like in the stories of North America and with other Native American tribes or native tribes to the world. The Caribs were not playing that game. Maybe they had a sense and maybe they were just living up to their usual aggressive roots and they attacked the spanish as soon as they tried to dock ship they threw spears shot arrows tried to set the ship ablaze killed anyone that stepped on foot didn't want it didn't want to deal with the spanish and the spanish also didn't want to deal with them so they turned around left didn't come back didn't want to establish a colony just didn't think it was worth it because they also didn't like spot anything of major value as they circled the island so very quickly they were like all right listen we don't need to be fighting these people for this land we're out of here the next European group that would come here would actually be the French, and this would happen about a century and a half later, around 1632, and the funny thing about that is, in this time, they didn't even actually go to the land and establish a settlement. In 1632, a French like colonial organization actually just officially claimed the land. They claimed it in writing and wrote a pension for it and stuff, because France had already taken over Martinique and Guadeloupe, which is north and south of... Dominica, respectfully, perspectively and it was very easy for them to just claim this land at this time because no one else was fighting heavy in the land, and Spain had already come over and gone. Yeah, we don't, we don't want to deal with this. So France was able to claim it in writing very easily, and it wasn't until 1690 of that century that they would actually go into the land and try and establish some physical settlements and stuff. So physically they first go onto the land and start marching around 1690, establish some small camps. They're still facing the caribs pretty hard, but it isn't until the next few decades that they actually establish some very serious settlements that eventually become the ones that evolve into the capital of Rassau and all that. So this happens because in Martinique in 1715, some French settlers came down and they moved into the area on the south part of of the island, and started establishing different little farms and different things of the sort to try and get things moving. And then it wasn't until 1727, 12 years later, that people came from Gu- came from Guadeloupe, which was the other northern settlement of France, of the three islands: Guadeloupe, Dominica, and Martinique. They came down and started to establish a sugarcane plantation and cultivation in the area. And very, very soon after the sugar crops and sugar was being cultivated, and the land is now being rid of carobs, all of which are kind of pushed into one region of the island, which I'll get into later, but very much fully eliminated, kind of extinguished as a threat. The only threat to France would be themselves and foreign European powers, no longer the carobs, after after 1727 about. So the sugarcane production was growing, and sugarcane plantations were coming up, But the biggest, most popular thing in the world at this point, very similar to now, was coffee. Coffee was wanted in Europe. It was wanted in other colonies. It was wanted across the world. It was traded in Asia, all sorts. And the land of South America was very good for growing coffee. So the French thought it would be a great idea to try and grow it here. So they start slowly introducing coffee to the area and start cultivating it very soon. And as Europeans usually do in order to save Profits and keep their profit margins very wide. They said, "Okay, there's already cheap island labor here, but you know what's even cheaper than island labor? It would be importing slaves." So they did the usual European thing, and as the as the Atlantic slave trade begins, a lot of Atlantic, slave, a lot of African slaves are brought into this area of the Atlantic in the Lesser Antilles, and they are now being used in Dominica. Now, for the second half of the 1700s, things are very different. It's a lot of interaction between European countries, specifically Britain and France, and power shifts back and forth between these two very, very frequently. It goes up and down, back and forth, different wars, different negotiations, different invasions, things like that. So it starts in 1761, one right after 17 years, the Seven Years' War, right after the Seven Years' War. Britain takes over the land after defeating France in this war, and they start to introduce English as the main language, because thus far, French had been spoken there, and the natives' language, but now that's being erased and pushed towards English. Then, in 1778, there was an invasion of Dominica, where the France ended up getting the island back, and then, after the U.S. Revolutionary War, which ended in the 1780s, 1783, Britain comes back down in, like, a revenge thing, because... Seven Years' War is lost by France, so France helps the U.S. beat Britain in revenge, and in revenge for that, Britain comes down to Dominica and takes this land back, as long as as well as a bunch of other parts of the Caribbean. Still, they get it back from them in 1783. The France would now try two times more in two separate years to get it back. The second, which of those being 1805, and despite failing again to get the land back, they actually burn the capital of Versailles all the way to the ground, and that's like their exit. It's kind of similar to when there was total war in the Civil War in the U.S., where they burned Atlanta to the ground. They completely burned this capital to the ground on their way out as they're leaving, as they're losing. So that happened in 1805. By 1834, while under British control, slavery was fully made illegal and fully abolished this year, and the British Navy, over the next few decades, would really start to enforce anti-slavery. They would start to tour the area, especially in Pacific Islands as well as in the Caribbean, to make sure there was no slave boats and things like that because they had made it illegal. And within a few years of slavery becoming illegal, leadership within Dominica actually became fully black-led because it was a very black population. Even today, it's about 85% black, something like that. Very, very black-focused population. And these black people elected a black government. It makes a lot of sense. Now, despite the British being anti-slavery they still weren't pro-black they weren't at that stage yet so they started to introduce different organizations and federations of sorts in order to limit the power of black people and the power of individual governments within these caribbean islands be it black people or be it more like hispanic descendants or um, native islander descendants britain still wasn't quite with the idea of a white man not being in control so they weren't pro-slavery After 1834, but they also weren't pro minority. That's how Britain does things. They're just never Britain. British Empire is never quite to the place they should be. And despite being one of the earlier ones to get rid of slavery, they still can't quite like can't can't win everything with them. So in order to limit this power, Britain starts putting them into a thing called the Leeward Island Federation, which happens in 1871, which is like a smaller federation of about four or five island nations in the Caribbean that. Britain had full control over, it puts them into this smaller like grouping, this federation, because federation means that Britain, being the overseer of the federation, has a lot more power than the individual states, so having overall control over them means they have less autonomy, means that despite who they've elected, they don't have full power, and if Britain wants something done there, it's still going to be done because Britain said so, and it's not quite individual power yet and this happens a lot of the next few decades is they're kind of bounced around so in 1871 they're put into the leeward island federation that lasts until 1940 when they're bounced over into the windward island federation where dominica was put into this one with a few other countries because they were starting to like get their own autonomy and there was like the idea of a revolt was starting to build up britain didn't like the idea of this so they very quickly like switched them over again And then before the end of that, like this century, 1958, sees them switch into the West Indies Federation, which is just another set of islands in the Lesser Antilles, which are formed together under Britain in order to make sure their individual power isn't growing that much and there's less collaboration, things like that, so that Britain is the one that holds the most power over them. So after this whole back and forth and toss around of power between France and Britain, and then about 100 years of the island being thrown into different federations so that their power is reduced, self-governing finally comes in 1967, and that's what the passing of the West Indies Act, which frees a lot of the countries in the West Indies from full British control, Britain pretty much holds down control of their international affairs, pretty much making them like a principality, and this goes on for a while, this spreads across all of the west indies and not long after that independence comes and one of the main people pushing for that would be patrick john who's a big advocate of just individualism and the idea of being proud of being a dominican and being proud of you know where you're born and having the right to govern yourself so very pro-independence as i said and in 1978 independence comes it's fully granted to them they're not affiliated with britain anymore and patrick john who was this activist i was just talking about ends up becoming prime minister now, I need to brace for a sec, because when I was doing my research, I was scrolling through YouTube, I was scrolling through just different historical articles, and while on YouTube, I ran into one video, and I just looked up Dominica, just to see what would come up after I did a bunch of other history research on it. I see a video by Jabzi, who's already an incredible YouTuber, incredible history YouTubers, made hundreds of videos, absolutely go check him out. I see one that has the title, I don't remember specifically, but it was Things About Dominica, neo-nazis the kkk um one of their prime ministers and all that i was like what and it was labeled operation red dog now i'm not going to do as much justice as he did because he made a whole video dedicated to it so definitely go check out that video if this next section intrigues you at all so it's called operation red dog at this time we're in the late 1970s because independence came in 78 we're looking at 1979 right now and Rastafarians started coming to the island. Rastafarians are kind of like a religious, social group from Jamaica that you know have their own very individualist beliefs. They're very pro-drug, and they started to come into the island and island of Dominica specifically. And while in Dominica, they were referred to they were referred to as the Dreads for the dreadlocks that they would wear, and. They were persecuted pretty heavily. Patrick John, who was the Prime Minister, even passed a thing called the Dread Act, which made having dreadlocks a crime because of how much the people in Dominica were feeling. Just, they just didn't like these Rastafarians. They didn't believe in the way they lived. And they they didn't like the idea that some of their farmland was being used to grow, grow marijuana, which was a thing that a lot of rastafarians are doing in the area. So, rastafarians are facing a lot of abuse from these this island of fellow black people, which is very it's very odd because it's usually a european or a colonizer or an oppressor of a different race, but for, you know, the very black Dominica to be very oppressive of black Jamaicans was interesting to see. So, these rastafarians are threatened with this dread act. There's many punishments that could come from this. It could be something as simple as the dreads are just cut off forcefully if they catch you with them. Or you could be arrested and spend time in jail for having them. And some people were even put to death for having dreads, which is insane. Patrick John would call them a cult and say that they were just too rough and tumble. He didn't like the way they lived. He referenced the marijuana growth. And this segues into a bigger part of this Operation Red Dog where... Hearing all that's happened to the Rastafarians in this island, it wouldn't be crazy to assume they would like the idea of this government that's abused them so heavily being overthrown. Keep that in mind. So, in 1979, Prime Minister Patrick John is forced to step down because of his abuse of the Rastafarians. Some people weren't okay with that. Some Dominicans were, but some were not. And just the way he was handling power, he was kind of messing up the economics and finances of the country. The country was also still very, very based on... Exporting things like sugar, coffee, and bananas. So once that started to tank and he didn't have a solution for it, it made him look very bad to his people. So he's forced to step down. But there was a lot of people in North America that did not like the idea of this guy stepping down because they were starting to get this dream in their head. This dream was led by Canadian and American mercenaries and neo-Nazis that had this idea where they could go to Dominica... They could overthrow the current government. They could put Patrick John back on the throne. I'm sorry, the prime minister seat. And they could be selling drugs. They could have a haven for neo-Nazis. They could have a haven for KKK members. And they could live this nice island life just the way they wanted without anyone they didn't like. I know, hard to follow, but stay with me. So, many of these odd groups band together and bring them back into power. This was the beginning of Operation Red Dog. So, It was, as I said, led by Canadian and American mercenaries who went even farther than just, like, being neo-Nazis themselves. They actually talked to the leader of the KKK at the time, who was David Duke, and asked him to help provide things for this, you know, upcoming invasion, to provide his support, whatever, and he does, So, so... You have the KKK, you have neo-Nazis, you have white supremacists, you have Canadian and American mercenaries, and you have Patrick John because their whole idea is putting Patrick John back in power, and of course he likes this. So you have these six different players all seeking to overthrow the new Prime Minister of Dominica in order to establish this crazy Nazi haven. So... David Duke actually does provide more than just his support. He starts providing ideas of where to get mercenaries to help them with this invasion and also help get guns, and soon they attempt it. Now, another thing about this is that the Rastafarians are also allegedly involved in this. So, as I said earlier, they were, you know, very pro-drug. They were marijuana users, marijuana growers, and these people that were coming were very pro-drug, and, of course, it's a weird affiliation because the KKK hates anything that isn't white. And Rastafarians were Jamaicans who were very, very black. So, it's a weird combo, but it's believed that they were working together and that word of the invasion was secretly sent to the Rastafarians and Rastafarian, like at least a few major leaders of the Rastafarians in the area. And that they were invited to help them with this and that, some of them complied like a lot of people were ready to do this invasion to help with this like invasion slash coup and overthrow the power within dominica however the invasion never actually happened because despite dominica being very unguarded it said they only have about a hundred or so people able to defend the country because of how small it is it's a very tiny population even today it's only around seventy thousand. that's why we're covering it so early here and the plot is discovered. So despite this like very tantalizing idea, this country would be easy to invade, they're stopped. They're discovered and all that. It very quickly goes down. And as arrests were being made in the United States, there was even a deeper accusation, which would have gone very deep into the U.S. government. And that would be with a man named Ron Paul, who was a Republican conservative who served Texas's like, representatives for his entire career for over 30 years. And the reason accusations are placed on him is because there's pictures of him with the the white supremacists from America and the neo-Nazis in Canada. He, there's pictures with him and those leaders throughout time and throughout his career. So this idea that he was, you know, feeding information in and, you know, supporting them with money on the side, backing them quietly, making sure that cops are turning a blind eye, all these things fall into the lap of... Ron Paul. And of course, you know, it is accusation. I'm not going to say what I believe, but it's very suspicious and it's purely speculatory. But the idea that, you know, a U.S. government official, an elected representative, is, you know, involved in this idea to, like, stage a coup in a country and, like, overthrow what was going on there, it's just crazy to me. Then, when we go into Dominica itself, Eugenia Charles was the prime minister that was elected into power after patrick john was overthrown and she's the first female prime minister of this country and she does a great job with leadership both here and later on she of course arrests patrick john sentences him to 12 years in prison but he only ends up serving five just because of his connections and stuff but still arrests him for this on high treason and this conflict pretty much ends the only thing that happens is this is called the bay of pigs because of it being such like a failure because the Bay of Pigs was the huge thing with the Cuban Missile Crisis and was actually a big conflict. This being called the Bay of Pigs was kind of poking fun at the idea that like people of such you know kind of Nazi fascist craziness wanted to overthrow a country and failed so hard. It's kind of a joke, and we'll see it when we do the country of Suriname. But there's actually a Bay of Pigs two, like a sequel to this, is what they call it, because there was an attempt to overthrow that government and a weird. Like alliance of people scheme thing there. We'll get into that when we do Suriname. But just notice a Bay of pigs too that happens. And as I said, I only gave a few minutes of attention to that very deep and unique situation that happened in Dominica. Definitely go check out Jazby's video on that. He gives like a good twenty minute explanation, goes through every person name by name that's involved and every country and government and affiliation and organization that was there. It's very impressive how much he knows about the situation and how much it happened in the situation of operation red dog. So definitely go check him out. But with saying that that's pretty much the end of this kind of crazy time in their history. Now it kind of falls into the very sad history we see with a lot of Caribbean countries, which is storms and kind of an erasing of culture. So what happens with the storms is that hurricane David hits in 1979, which, is really bad for the country's economy and, of course, the people there. It crushed the country overall and destroyed almost all their crops, which made Eugenia Charles realize that the country really needs to, like, change its, like, identity when it comes to economics. It shouldn't just be based on plants anymore because not only is that just failing in general, but they're going to get outcompeted by places that are subsidized in the U.S. and things like that, so... They have to change it up, and that's when the tourism of this island starts to be promoted more heavily in the 1980s by Eugenia Charles. As I said, this prime minister does a lot of work for our country and really pushed forward a lot of ideas that have helped the country get to where it is today. Of course, under her, with this new tourism industry push, there's a lot of unemployment rate. that, like, Unemployment rate drops very heavily under her, and it's very impressive. Now, this wouldn't be the last of the storms that hit them. Two more major storms would really hit the country hard because the Caribbean is just so very exposed to this stuff and it's very hard to avoid and these two storms really cause a lot of damage. So, at the time of Tropical Storm Erica hitting, bananas were actually the most popular export of the country still. still, They were still shifting away from this very plant-based and, like, um, agricultural society and they really were pushing towards tourism. But bananas are still the biggest export of the country and their biggest, like, profit crop and thing to sell. So... When Tropical Storm Erica hits, 100% of the banana crop in the island is completely destroyed. And it causes a bunch of horrible landslides and flooding. And then, in 2017, we see Hurricane Maria hit, which literally affected every single person on the island because everyone had their home either fully destroyed, flooded, damaged, or a lot of people very sadly lost their lives to this storm, huge Hurricane Maria, in 2017. And international aid really starts to happen now where... France, the Netherlands, UK are all really starting to push financial aid onto this country to help them get out of this very bad situation because this, I almost said Suriname, Dominica is not at all affiliated with the US so it's very European countries and countries that used to have relations with them doing their best to help out. That's why France and the UK was helping and the Netherlands are very much leaders in generating money for countries that need help with things like this. They they help generate a lot of money for a lot of Caribbean countries when these issues happen. So the Netherlands helped too. But despite the help, the country, you know, has been fighting its best to recover, but there was still so much damage. It was a very hard recovery. But today, here we are, you know, five years after 2017, the country is doing a lot better. There's great tourism and they just started to do good. And before I get into like the actual current like place and Status of the country. We're just gonna get into some facts about the country and things like that. Starting with the flag. I don't usually do flags, but this one has so many layers to it and it's got some unique things about it that not a lot of other flags have. So I do want to do that real quick. And so if you look at the flag, it's a green one with a cross of three stripes and it's got a bird in the middle. Now the green represents the nature and beauty of this country. As I said, it's called the Nature Island of the Caribbean for its beauty and Then the cross itself represents Christianity and the Holy Trinity because being discovered by a Catholic and being run by very Catholic countries throughout its history, well, even though England is Protestant, but, you know, very Christian countries for sure throughout its history. The cross represents that. It represents Christianity and the Holy Trinity. And then the yellow stripe is the natives, the black is the soil, and the white is the crystal clear water of the land. Those are the three stripes. It's the black, yellow, and white stripe. There's a red disc, which the bird sits on, that is called the justice of the land, and the ten stars are for the ten counties or parishes that make up the the island, it's like counties that break up uh, different areas of the island. And that bird itself, the purple one, is the Cicero parrot, which actually is unique because there was a story written in the 1960s by a woman named Jean Reese, who. Wrote a book called The Wild Cicero Sea, which is kind of like the second, it's like a sequel to Jane Eyre. And Jane Eyre, of course, is one of the most popular novels of all time. So, and she was purely from Dominica. She was Dominican. And, you know, it was a very interesting correlation to see that, the bird and the title name, things like that. So, the bird is... The is Parrot, as I said, and it's actually very special because it's one of only two country flags in the world that have purple on it, and the only other one is in Nicaragua. So that makes this very unique. When it comes to language, as I said, the primary language of the country is English because of its long, long time being ruled by Britain, but there is a common second language that is being spoken here, which is Dominican Creole French, which is a very unique mix of the French that was taught here and cultivated here for a very long time and like very much forced onto the population. While the original tongue that was spoke here, that kind of Creole Dominican that's like a very basis of the country is mixed into this, make this unique Dominican Creole French. And when it comes to the current status of the country, it actually ranks very high on the human index scale, like human development index, which you know, measures a country's like freedoms and it's like status of life and happiness of people that live there, things like that. So despite its small population and being you know, crushed by storms, having a long colonial past, and all that, its beauty and the fact that it's a pretty stable country in the last few years, despite being hit with such heavy storms, it's a very high-developed country according to this scale, which is great to see. It also has the highest concentration of centenarians in the world, and centenarians, I should say, centenarians are people who are over 100. So this island has the most concentration of these people that are over 100 years old. And probably one of the cooler parts of this country to me, despite its great beauty, is the fact that in the northeastern part of the island, there is still this area called the Klingo Territory, which is one of the 10 parishes. And it's where some of the last Caribs in the entire world are still trying to hold on to their culture and build their traditional houses, goods, and cook in their traditional way, live in their traditional way, because... Of course, the Caribs were mostly wiped out as Europeans came and started to wage war on them, and this part of Dominica in this northwestern, northeastern Kalingo territory of the island is some of the only ones left, and it's very unique to see them build hats and the way they live in their houses, which they built themselves, and still live that very ancient style that they're still holding on to so tightly. And with that last little fact about the Caribs, that's going to wrap up our history of dominica now i'm going to do my usual here which is give us a little insight a little bit of a lesson that i like to take away just to apply the way this history has taught me things and kind of what i got from learning about the people who live here and things like that and with this country the thing that actually sticks out to me most is two things and one would be when you have a very big problem and you don't know what to do things are changing for you heavily with this country that was all their crops and their entire original industry of banana, sugar, and coffee plants being grown, when that gets fully wiped out and something similar happens in your life, be it you lose your job, you lose a girlfriend, you lose a boyfriend, you lose a family member that's been so important to your life that you kind of lived around them, something like that, you have to look at your surroundings, look at what strengths you have, look at what things are there for you, and come up with a solution from there. Dominica didn't give up. They didn't take a huge amount of loans out. They just changed their industry under Eugenia Charles. They started to push for this tourism because they realized that they have this beautiful island they live on and that there is a market for people who are going to want to come and visit this island and experience this Dominican lifestyle and things like that. So when you have a problem in your life, don't look for the end. Don't look for you know, a way to just like stop the pain or even just, even worse, like get stagnant in your tracks and not move at all. Try and look forward and look around and see what you can do with your situation to help you get out of the problem you're having right now, help you get out of the bad part of the situation you're in. And secondly is a much more general thing, but this is just to take in beauty more, take in the beauty of situations and your surrounding a lot more. Dominica, as I said, is called the nature island of the Caribbean. Because of the fact that it is just so beautiful, the rainforests, the mountains, the volcanoes, everything that is here is beautiful when it comes to geography and physicality. And I know that you may not live in an area that's as beautiful as Dominica. You may be in a concrete jungle like many places are in the U.S. You may not see the sun a lot if you're in the northeast or west. You may not see snow if you're in the southwest or southeast. You may be in one of the flat states like Kansas, you may be anywhere in the world where things are very different than this like beautiful tropical island, and I get things are hard to see the beauty in sometimes, but look at your surroundings and try and take in the things that are beautiful, try and take in those blue sky days, try and take in trees and plants and things that are actually very beautiful in this world and are around you all the time, and just try to find a beauty in them. And even if it's not nature, take in the beauty of the skyscrapers near you and the silence when no one's driving past you on the roads. Take in the beauty of small things and even take that beyond physical things. Take in the beauty of the relationships you have. Take in the beauty of the way you're living your life. Taking the beauty of life itself. And living like that and looking at things through a little bit better lens, a little bit clearer lens, even if you're focusing more on the positives than the negatives, that may just make your day a little bit better It may make things feel a little bit better and it may make things feel good. So... That's my two cents for the day. That's all I can say about this beautiful country. One that I'm very excited to visit in the next few years. And that's pretty much that. So all I can say is Dominica gave me a surprise. I was not shocked. I was very surprised by this neo-Nazi thing that came up. But once the rest of the history came into fruition, I'm glad to see that this very beautiful country is doing well for itself and that it has a bright future ahead of it. So... I'm just going to wrap it up here and say thank you so much for watching. And my name is Alex Marks. This is Young History. And that was the history of Dominica. Thank you so much.